the podcast dedicated entirely to the lost format of VHS. If you're a new listener, the basic premise of the show is that each episode I take a look at one VHS classic from my collection of ex-rental tapes, uh, and I delve into the history of said film and look at its UK home video release before getting into a full and frank review of the movie itself. Uh, From time to time, I may also wander off into my own brain to talk a little bit about how the movie may or may not have fitted into my memories of growing up as a child of the VHS generation, uh, spending most of my days wandering the rental stores in my local area. And the podcast supports the upcoming Adventures in VHS book, the first draft of which is now just about complete and runs alongside my various other online exploits and and social networks, all of which you'll find at adventuresinvhs.com. If you're wondering where I've been for the last few months, well, aside from it being Christmas, I've been keeping pretty busy with my new best mate, Charlie, who arrived into the world uh, back in September and has been distracting me in the best possible way ever since. Uh, But for those of you who heard the last show, which was kind of a a one-off documentary-style show looking at the life and work of the late VHS hero, Cliff Twemlow. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it, first of all. Um, A lot of work went into the episode, and I had an absolute blast doing it, Um, uh, which is why I do plan to do more feature-length, in-depth shows just like that in the future. Uh, You may have noticed, though, that this particular episode runs a bit shorter uh, than than what you may be used to, Um, and that is because I've decided that while having an interview on each of the episodes is great, it does make it more difficult for me to to get one out every month. So with that in mind, I'll be trying to do a more compact, regular monthly show in future, uh, and I'll save up the interviews and stuff for some of the bigger documentary-style shows that I will uh, put up from time to time under the... uh, Adventures in VHS presents banner, uh, just like the tw- the uh, the Cliff Twemlow episode. 
But for now, the first of these new streamlined shows will take a long, hard look at a film that set my world on fire when it finally arrived on home video back in the day. Uh, And that's the Stuart Gordon-directed sci-fi mini-epic Robot Jocks, which attempted to bring blockbuster robo-battle action to the big screen back when the likes of Michael Bay and Guillermo del Toro were still in shorts, uh, or at least making shorts. So without further ado, I'll once again ask you to sit back, get comfortable, and get ready to adjust your tracking. It's a new age of combat. Human beings, genetically engineered to be the best fighters in history. Two champions. It isn't over until someone wins. <laughs> At war with each other. Kill it! I have already killed you. Two invincible men. Let's finish it, Alexander. Here now. The ultimate killing machines. I'm gonna get in this thing! And I'm gonna kick your... Based on an original idea by Stuart Gordon, who admits it was inspired by the incredibly popular Transformers animated series of the day, Robot Jocks was given the green light by Empire Pictures' Charles Band when Gordon and special effects artist David W. Allen came up with a demo reel of stop-motion test footage for the giant robots of the film. It would, however, be the most expensive movie ever produced by Empire Pictures and was given an estimated budget of $7 million, which was pretty ambitious for a company whose other projects included stuff like Valet Girl and Assault of the Killer Bimbos. But it was perhaps a bit too big of an ambition as the company ended up going bankrupt in 1987 during filming. As an interesting side note, Robot Jocks wasn't the only film that went down with the Empire ship. Band was also in the middle of an anthology film named Pulse Pounders, which brought the reanimator trio of Jeffrey Coombs, Barbara Crampton and David Gale back together in a short called The Evil Clergyman. And it also featured sequels for the fantastic Trancers, not the related Trancers 2 that would come out a few years later, uh, and other Empire favourite Dungeon Master, which is also known as Rage War. In 2012, the negatives for these shorts were recovered from the foreign investors who seized them when Empire went under, and since then, two of the three have been released through Charles Band's Full Moon Pictures. Robot Jocks, on the other hand, was picked up in 1987 by Epic Productions, who managed to put it out a few years later in 1990, the same year it was releasing films like The Ambulance, Dark Angel, and Men at Work, all through the Entertainment in Video label. So, nearly three years after principal photography had started, Stuart Gordon's vision of bringing huge battling robots to the screen was realised at a cost of just $6 million. Uh, Of course, that was still pretty expensive, uh, but at a million less than the original planned budget, you could argue it was a bargain. Um, Unfortunately, though, the film made less than $1.3 million on its limited theatrical run, which Gordon and co-writer Joe Holderman have said wasn't helped by the rather painful process of putting the screenplay together. 
Uh, it seems that while Gordon was keen to make sure the Saturday morning cartoon aesthetic of the film was kept intact, Holderman was, in his own words, looking for believable, reasonable characters, stuff that reflected his experiences as a soldier who fought in the Vietnam War. The thing is, as a 13-year-old kid, my interest in robot jocks wasn't that it would offer me a realistic depiction of life on the front line of a post-apocalyptic war. It was very definitely in the notion of giant human-powered Transformer-style robots battling it out um, in a fight to the death. And while my attention by this point was moving more towards more important things like heavy metal and tits, in the years prior I had been a huge Transformers kid and was absolutely buried in its expanded universe, most notably the genuinely fantastic UK weekly comic. Well, back in September of 1987, as part of the Simon Furman scripted Worlds Apart story, that comic had introduced the idea of a race of Transformers which, for the first time, were controlled by a humanoid being. Uh, the Headmasters, as they were known, ended up becoming quite a big part of that comic, along with similar bots named Powermasters and Targetmasters. Um, so seeing something similar in a movie was a thrilling, thrilling prospect for me, uh, long before you know Michael Bay would come and ruin the whole Transformers party. Um, at this point, it is also important to reiterate once again that the late 80s were a very different place to our modern internet age. So just to put it into context, the upcoming Transformers movie, Age of Extinction, was announced in February 2012, two and a half years before it will actually arrive in cinemas. The trailer, uh, which just dropped uh, this February, is six months ahead of its summer release date. And let's not even get into the daily blogger speculation of photographs of cars dressed up as news items about potential characters. My point is, this was an age where a trailer could come out of nowhere and completely blindside you. Uh, and it would usually be for a film that you could rent pretty much immediately, provided it didn't have the dreaded on-loan insert tucked into the sleeve when you got to the store. Um, and that's exactly what Robot Jocks did. One evening we were sitting down to watch some other entertainment and video release, and a trailer popped up that revealed these giant mechanical robots fighting each other. And I lost my mind. I, I, I just had to see this film. And the next few times we went into the rental store, I asked about Robot Jocks, and eventually it turned up. Not only that, but John, who ran my local VHS Mecca Video World, had saved me a copy of the incredible A1 poster. Double win. Um, so in short, Robot Jocks was a hit with me, um, mainly because it was as close to a Transformers live-action movie as I was ever likely to get. Uh, I don't doubt for a second that the effects will have aged terribly, but having completely forgotten the entire movie, what will my experience be of it this time? There is a place where rapping leprechauns rub shoulders with wrestling women and mad doctors. There is a place where domestic dwellings are terrorised by killer beds and satanically possessed appliances. There is a place where nations battle for survival whilst tasty geezers with shooters and football hooligans run riot upon the streets. There is a place where the underdog strives for sporting glory whilst hitmen and vampire motorcycles go on curses of bloody revenge. There is a place where Nicolas Cage punches a bear in the face. The name of the place? The Crash and Burn Movie Podcast, of course. www.crashandburnmoviepodcast.co.uk 
be there. Unless it's what's waffle on, you may be entertained. That movie was pretty good. What? That movie gets an MG straight up. Straight up MG material. Honey, is that Robert De Niro across the street? Hey, yo! Sure looks like him. Can't be, though. Yeah, you! He's calling to us. Let's just go. But it's Bobby fucking D, honey. Hey, yo. That's right. It's Bobby fucking De Niro over here. Hey, a lot of people don't know this about me. Yeah, I'm mingling down here with the drug dealers, the pimps, the pushers, the low-level gangsters, you know. Honestly, I'm slinging some shit myself. You may not know this about me, but I'm a fan of podcasts. Yeah, I've been listening to these guys' bloodbaths and boomsticks. A couple of knuckleheads from around the way. You got John Smallberries. What a fucking name on this guy. You got Corey G. The guy's fucking half-retarded over here. Likes John Woo, for fuck's sake. Then you got Tim Gross. He's got the movie-watching constitution of a billy goat. Hey, find these guys at bloodbathsandboomsticks.blogspot.com. Com. Long fucking name, but just go find it. It's worth it. You knuckleheads got that? Yeah? Bloodbaths and Boomsticks. It's on the house. Okay, so I hold before me the uh, 1990 entertainment in video release of Robot Jocks. Um, coded EVV1166 and yeah it's a beautiful thing um, it's in a entertainment and video box as well so embossed properly in the in the right correct embossed box and the front cover I think most of you will have seen the, the cover art for, for now and I'm sure you would agree that it's it's in, it's really really very beautiful and really sells the film um, yeah, probably sells the film a bit too well. Um, and yeah, to just take a quick look at it then, we've got the uh, tagline across the top, the ultimate killing machine, part man, part metal. Um, and then the big sort of metallic writing across the bottom, robot jocks. And we've got the sort of robot himself sort of emerging from flames. Um, and you can just about see the uh, the pilot, if you will, uh, or the jocks, as as we will learn, um, just in a, in a small sort of window in the uh, in the centre of the robot. It's a beautifully hand painted number, and uh, this particular cover, uh, sorry, this particular tape, apparently comes from a store called Video City. Um, where it was available every night for just one pound, um, and so there's a couple of Video City stickers on the front. As I've mentioned before, I kind of like it when my uh, my tapes actually have stickers from uh, from the, the stores that they lived in because it just means it just feels like they've had a life, and it just feels like you know they've been rented and they've just they've people have picked them up and and sort of just gazed at them for ages before taking them over to the counter. And so, you know, it, they've had a life, and I think that's great. Um, so along the side, Robot Jocks, and another sort of text-free version of the uh, the front cover photo. And we turn around to the back, and we've got three photos across the top. There's uh, what looks like a space station, um, and then there's an image of uh, a dude trying to strangle a lady. Um, and then there's an image of a falling giant robot, which is kind of has been uh, blasted with something. There's all fire and flame and smoke coming from it. 
Um, and then we've got the blurb, and just to read that out to you so you're aware of the plot. It is 50 years since the nuclear holocaust almost destroyed mankind. War is now outlawed. All territorial disputes between the great alliances are settled by single combat. At the Confederation playing fields in Siberia, a battle rages between two gigantic fighting machines, piloted by their nation's champions, dot, dot, dot. Um, and then there's a selection of photographs across the bottom. We've got um, some people stood in front of the robot's feet. We've got the um, evil Russian guy in the middle. We've got the robots facing off against one another. Um, a picture of our hero's eyes. And then somebody leaping towards one of the robots or something. Um and then the uh, the Empire pictures details at the bottom, which reveal that you know uh, it's produced by Charles Band and uh, Albert Band and directed by Stuart Gordon. And that's about it, really, uh, for the cover. So uh, I'll take a look inside. As I say, this is an entertainment in video uh, embossed box. So we open up the white clamshell, and on the left-hand panel, you've got the lovely entertainment embossed logo. This is the um, the slightly more modern entertainment in video logo, not the old um, EV logo uh, which the company started out with. This is the uh, this is the sort of more 80s looking one involving sort of a big oblong and uh, some triangles. Um, so that's embossed on that side. And interestingly, when you actually take a look at this tape, this is something you don't see very often. Um, the tape stock that Robot Jocks is on is Maxell. Um, and you can see uh, across the top there that sort of Maxell embossed um, onto the actual tape. But across the actual header of the tape, you've got the entertainment group with EV written on there as well. You don't really usually see distributor names on tape stock. It would normally just say Max L or Fuji or whatever. Um, so that's interesting in, in this case. And then we've got a lovely silver uh, entertainment and video label across the top. Uh, if I haven't mentioned it before, this uh, film has been certificated um, 15. Um, if I can get all Simon Bates for a second there. Um, and yeah, and if we look across the bottom of the tape, we've got an advert for the, um, the movie, which is kind of seen as the sequel to Robot Jocks. It says, soon, from the creators of Arena and Robot Jocks, Crash and Burn, the ultimate adventure. Soon. Um, so yeah, um, Crash and Burn is basically uh, Robot Jocks 2, or it was it was at least sort of um, labelled up as Robot Jocks 2 in some territories. I think in the UK it was just known as Crash and Burn though. Uh, I haven't seen it, I may very well watch it. Uh, and then along the side we've got the uh, another Video City sticker and a security seal for Video City in Liverpool and Skelmersdale. Um, and uh, the do not remove warning. Um, those security seals were something that a lot of uh, a lot of tapes used to have back in the day. They were secure. I don't really know what they were supposed to be protecting, but um, yeah. Anyway, so that's the tape. Let's pop it in and take a look at the trailers. Okay, so absolutely no idea what I'm going to come up with here, um, as the entertainment in video ident pops up there. I've seen a lot of entertainment in video tapes, so I could well have seen most of these films. What is this? From the creators ah. of Arena and Robot Junks. So yeah, I'm guessing this is Crash and Burn then. Comes a frightening new vision of the future. How frightening. Uh, that's pretty frightening, yeah. Fair enough. 
so it looks very well, it doesn't quite actually look it doesn't look as similar to robot jocks it's got giant robots in it but this looks more this looks less about robot fighting and, and something much uh, something very different yeah I'll check that out definitely don't give a damn about okay, we're talking about a karate movie here. Uh, that's, is that Chris Penn? That's Chris Penn. Oh, I know what this is. Yeah, this is um, Best of the Best, featuring Eric Roberts um, and James Earl Jones, as I'm sure you heard his uh, dulcet tones just there. I can't remember if I've seen Best of the Best, and I think I probably should see it. You need this fight for you. If only because Eric Roberts in 1989 or whenever this was, with his incredibly long hair, um, he looks. Eric Robert looks in 1989 like Julia Roberts looks now. It's quite bizarre. If you don't believe me, check out the trailer for uh, for Best of the Worst. You can sweat. You can. You can train. You, well, you can. I can. You can dream and never be better than good. <laughs> but when the right people come together at the right moment, you can be when they awesome. care almost as much about winning as they do about each other, you can they be can become the best, best of the best. Of the best. Great trailer. Whoever wrote that is a genius. Ah, and you've got the sort of typical Cry Kid, Rocky style song. I wonder how many times the word Rocky was used when the, the the writer of this song was being briefed by the movie company. I hope the chorus is best of the best. If it is, I might just have to find this music. Stuff the best. Brilliant. Right, I'm getting that. Excellent. Do you know what? I don't think I've seen Best of the Best. I really need to rectify that. I'm definitely going to get hold of a copy of Best of the Best. I think what people are looking for today, sir, is okay, they next trailer. are looking for adventure, romance, don't poetry. Don't know what this is. I mean, for example... Candy. Gerald Price has a fixation, a passion. I would buy uh, he has a fixation with um, an obsession with the chick from Sex and the City. Samantha from Zen, so you know, Monica. Now he's coming face to face. So, this looks very noir inspired. I don't know if it's an, I don't know if it's an actual um, period piece. Or, yeah, it looks like a period piece. Uh, it's got Palais Royale. Um, Dean Stockwell. He's got himself a new job. With the mob. So you're saying I think yeah, it, it's a bit of a sort of mob gangstery kind of deal. Um setting Royale. The 1920s or 30s. And it's called Palais Royale, yeah, and it looks fine. It's got Dean Stockwell. I like Dean Stockwell. Okay, so that's uh, parenting advice from Dean Stockwell. Fabulous. What is it with you and that guy? He's a killer. Yeah, you're right, you're right. I'm telling you, I mean, it's just... it's a You know what, to be fair... No, you're right. The actress whose name I can't remember from Sex and the City is in this. 
She kind of has a place really. and adventure. She looks pretty much then like she does Kim Cattrall. Kim Cattrall, that's it. Bean Stockwell. Yeah, we've established that. Palais Royale. It's not going on my rental list, I'm afraid. Every once in a while, there comes a movie that goes beyond the limits. Lobster Man from the Mars. Mars. Do you know what? I think I saw this come up recently on a, on a, on a, on a forum thread, this movie. I think it was available for sale. I just wanted to sell in a VHS copy of it. All for the Lobster Man! Yeah, I think it's just called the Lobster Man. Have you dubbed it in English? And is that Tommy Curtis? Tommy Curtis. Oh, this looks awful. Um, yeah, it looks awful, but it looks intentionally awful, which doesn't always work for me. It's uh, also stars John Peel from the Avengers, uh, the original 1960s Avengers TV show. Um, Lobster Man from Mars. It looks dis- it looks intentionally B-moving, but not in the best way. So it looks like a spoof of a 1950s sort of sci-fi movie type thing, but... military brains. Less than two hours before I order in my troops. Is this actually the B 52s or is it some big scientific minds? Lobster men are voracious flesh eaters. You mean? Yes. What an organism. It's not unlike an intelligent vegetable. The sharpest investigative mouse. Putting a tail on you. Maybe a pig snout and floppy ears. Oh, ha, ha, ha. Fucking hell. Three men, one mission to destroy the lobster man from so I don't know, it's, it's either a movie about a movie or a movie about a movie that comes into the real world. So, you know, stuff we've seen before, which doesn't look very good. It looks like it knows what it is. That's about the best I can, I can say for it. And I have no idea why Tony Curtis is in it. Awful. What's up next? Let's have something a bit better. On the makers of Police Academy. Oh, yeah. Snowboarding. Ski Patrol. Ski Patrol. A favourite of mine. A comedy that goes over the edge. It's a mountain full of hot dogs. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Ski Patrol is a favourite of, uh, of Mark Dude Foster. Curves. Give you a push, man. We're good. It's basically Police Academy on... on and evil on snow. Time to put a little tarnish on Ski Patrol's shine. They're everywhere! I'm going head to head. <laughs> head to toe. Oh, much better. Oh. And head to snow. It looks like one of those films which looks good in the trailer but isn't actually that funny. Sorry, Mark. Stop, do it! From the vile clutches of Sam Maris. I hate snow. What? What? Roof, yeah. A few familiar that guy faces. Any more of this crap? And I'm gonna close Somebody fall this into a cave. Down. I don't know, man. It's, this is what it, you know, this is everything that you would expect it to be. I love it! This is better than sex! It's got action. Light them up. It's got action. 
Danger. Oh, the classic of somebody skiing over a like tree and getting hit in the balls. Never gets old. And animal magnetism. Ski patrol. Burping dogs. It's this year's comedy that's out of control. I'm a professional. Don't try this at home. Coming soon to a theatre near you. I'll probably pass on that, I think. The music was far too wacky. Okay, so that's the entertainment in video logo. So I guess that means that it's time for some robo jo- robo jo- robot jocks. Um, so yeah, after this break, I will be uh, offering you my review of mo- robot jocks. So um, yeah, join me in just a minute. almost destroyed mankind. War is now outlawed, and all territorial disputes between the two great alliances are settled by single combat. Here at the Confederation playing field in Siberia, a battle rages between two gigantic fighting machines piloted by their nation's champions, the robot jocks. Now, there are a few things about Robot Jocks that need to be pointed out pretty early. The first, as I've mentioned, is that it's a film that was, in many ways, made to capitalise on the popularity of franchises like Transformers and, to a much lesser extent, GoBots. Uh, The second is that, unlike many of the other human-piloted supermachines of the day, Airwolf, Streethawk and even Blue Thunder, this isn't an example of an eponymous title. In fact, the jocks of, uh, of the title refers instead to the people who operate the giant nameless robots that battle one another in the name of their country. And finally, as a kind of an extension to that point, it's pretty interesting just how the film manages to predate Guillermo del Toro's Pacific Rim in a number of ways. Like the Jaegers of the of the latter, Robot Jocks features giant mechanical monsters that represent specific territories and are wheeled out to do battle with other gargantuan beasts when under threat. Um, in addition to that, though, you've got the idea of these celebrated champions who become one with the robots and, mu- and must train hard, both mentally and physically, to do their job to the best of, of their ability. Unlike Pacific Rim, though, these human champions are under threat uh, from internal politics and the emergence of replacements who are biologically grown in test tubes and therefore known as tubies. Uh, now, the only thing that seems to differentiate these tubies from humans is their apparent indifference towards the suffering of others. They are all about the job and they can't understand the more human elements of it, which comes into play on more than just one occasion uh, throughout the film. Perhaps more interesting, though, is the kind of racism, not to mention sexism, that these tubies suffer at the hands of the alleged good guys in some of the earliest of scenes. 
uh, our supposed hero Achilles and his head coach Tex are more than happy to share a laugh and a joke about the the tubies as if they aren't real people. Uh, and they're also equally comfortable with leering over the latest female addition to the, the, the gang of tubies. Yeah. I'd appreciate it if you could provide us with raw material. Uh, raw material? For the gene pool. You are the market's most famous jocks. Your DNA will be used to breed a superior stock of warrior. You ain't using my DNA to make no doobies. <laughs> Uh, could we just skip the middleman and uh, make a direct deposit? <laughs> so we learn that, like 1984 or The Hunger Games, this is a world that, in a post-apocalyptic environment, has been split up into different regional boundaries. And there are two main factions who face off every now and again when there is a sort of battle over territory. Um, uh, they do that using battle robots, as war has been outlawed. And these two factions are the clearly Western market and the more Russian-flavoured confederation. Uh, we get to see some of the cheering masses quite early on, who are particularly small in number. And among them, in a bizarre cameo, is the one, the only, the reanimator himself, Mr. Jeffrey Coombs. Damn right, he's got a chance. He's going to kill that confed. Yeah, I don't know. Alexander looks pretty tough. This is Achilles' last fight. Whose side are you on here? So, once again, the market has been called upon to fight the Confederation over a territorial dispute, which means Achilles, our hero, will face his old rival Alexander, an absolute bastard of a man whose career being battered about in a giant robot, uh, along with a penchant for vodka, just about explains his often illegible accent. Yeah! One week you're mine, because you did. <laughs> anyway, it's business time, and Achilles is suited up and ready to roll. Uh, on his way to the robo cockpit, he's given plenty of pats on the back and the traditional alternative to a good look, which is apparently now bad luck to say, by every member of his team as he passes. Sadly, it's an unfortunate choice of words, as the ensuing battle, which was clearly watched hundreds of times by this tape's previous owner, judging by the shit quality, um, sees Achilles and his robot taken down by Alexander when he steps in front of a wayward flying fist bomb, which knocks him back into the incredibly poorly positioned bleachers where hundreds of audience members are inexplicably sat. So this giant robot crashes through these bleachers and just destroys everyone and everything. Now it might sound a bit daft, and it kind of is, but this accident ends with about 300 or so innocent bystanders dying. Um, and the camera really lingers long and hard on the, on the carnage, just so you get to see how many of these people who are dead were women and children. It's a pretty dark setup, um, and you could argue it's a little bit misplaced in a film like this, but it does give Achilles something to overcome. Um, as um, following that, he reacts by saying that he won't take part in a rematch. He's out of the game, he's fulfilled his contractual obligations, and he will no longer fight for, uh, for the market. I can offer you any reasonable amount. Save it, can No, I'm serious. How much do you want? I don't want money. What I want 
So it's the inconclusive outcome of this particular match which ends with Hundreds Dead and sets up the middle act struggle of the film uh, and also kind of establishes a Rocky style template where you've got an unwanted rematch to, to decide the fate of, uh, in this case, Alaska, um, which will be the inevitable conclusion. So we're building up to a big fight again. Um, inevitably, during this time, you've got some sexual tension creeping in um, to the into the story between Achilles and the new female Tuby, uh, Athena. Um, that's starting to build and starts to sort of challenge some of the ideas around racism that the film set up already. And it's only lightly touched upon, of course, but you know this type of thing is sort of toyed around with a little bit. Uh, as is the sort of debate about what it is to actually be human. I won't be afraid. Keep telling yourself that, kid. I was bred not to have fear. Okay, so you're not human. I am human. I was bred for a purpose. You. You just happened. Yeah, that's what Daddy used to say. That's why you quit. You ran out of courage. You don't know anything about it. Rather than face Alexander again, you took refuge in a technicality. Ten fights is ten fights. Nine fights and one draw. What do you know about it? Huh? What do you know about it? It isn't over until somebody wins. This is over. So it's decided. Achilles is O-U-T out. And after a tough battle with her fellow Tubies, Athena has emerged as the one who will take his place. However, his team want him back, and when money, patriotism, and just how much of a dick Alexander is aren't enough to tempt him back, finding out that Athena, a skin job he couldn't have given two shits about just days before, apparently is enough to get him out of retirement. You will fight him? That's right. And in return, all I want is there won't be any bleacher bumps. Clear the area. Well, that won't be too difficult. In fact, we already thought about getting rid of the spectators anyway after... Do we have a deal? Indeed we do. Obviously, Athena is not happy about his return and she lets him know about it. She even goes as far as to slip him a roofie the night before the big fight so she can take his place. And if that wasn't enough, there's a new twist in the tale that's building as it emerges that Tex has been batting for the other side all along. There was no way you could have won. But I did. Caught him with a laser. (laughs) That was a lucky shot, too. That kind of luck does not exist. You took deliberate aim at the only vulnerable spot in that whole shield. Here, let's look at this a little more closely. Mm -hmm. I ran a structural analysis. You knew when and exactly where to fire. No, like I say, lucky shot. You're a Confederation agent. Like hell. I won Campuchino from him. Small price to pay. What better spy to have in place than a hero? The most honored of your enemy's fighters. Yeah. I'll be damned. You got me. Yes, massive plot twist. So, 
things have gone crazy. There's fighting going on in the control room. Tex has gone mental and killed another member of the team. Um, he's been outed as a spy in front of Achilles. He, out of shame or, I don't know, I've not wanting to be caught, he runs off and leaps to his own death. Um, and in the middle of all this, Achilles has kind of had to run out into the battlefield um, to save the struggling Athena who is getting her ass handed to her in, in, in the robot. And so he's got to try and find a way to get back into the robot and take control of the situation, which he does. Um, and after a frankly bizarre moment where the, the robots sort of shoot off into fucking space, um, the battle ends up concluding with um, Athena, or, or should I say Achilles' robot, transforming, yes, transforming into a kind of tank version of itself that, despite being painfully slow and cumbersome, is now also inexplicably difficult to shoot at. Luckily, though, as the ashes of battle settle and both pilots emerge from their cockpits still alive, there's just enough time to try and bludgeon each other to death in person uh, before suddenly changing their minds completely and giving each other a fist bump of peace uh, with gloves that have composite cables plugged into them for some reason. And, yeah, fade to black, end of the film. Um, very, very strange ending um so yeah that's 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 robot jocks in a nutshell what do what did i think of it um overall i'd say i actually got plenty out of robot jocks and not necessarily in the same way as i would have done back when it was a vhs rental from my local store First of all, there's the futuristic elements of the movie and the whole aesthetic of it, which actually feels much more like a version of the future that was constructed in the 1970s for a, a TV or film of that era than anything that someone would have come up with in the 80s or 90s. Um, so from that perspective, the fact that it kind of feels like a 70s sci-fi movie, I enjoyed it kind of on that level. Um then, as I've mentioned, there is the politics and sort of social issue, social issues that the movie does consider. Like I say, they are fleeting and they're not necessarily the main focus of, of what is going on. Uh, but they do set up some interesting ideas. There's the racism shown towards the tubies, the fact that they're looked at as pieces of meat that are completely expendable, and there's the idea that they are ever so slightly lacking in human emotion. So it's, it's, it's interesting. There's some really interesting stuff going on around what it is to be human and, you know, as I've said, the racism thing. Um, there's also something being said about this world, um, which often feels very hidden and is difficult to pin down. For example, there's the inclusion of posters in the background for a service called Prenate Owl, um, that seem to suggest that there's an issue with natural births in this post-apocalyptic world, but it's never touched upon and it's never really explored. Um, so you just sort of you just sort of get the feeling that if this had if this had had been fleshed out a little bit more, they might have said a little bit more about this world and why it is the way that it is and and you know all the problems that are associated with it. But they just don't really get under the skin of it. Um, yeah, all in all, I think you get the feeling really that if Holderman had, had, had been given his way in being allowed to create believable, reasonable characters without being interrupted by Gordon and his desire to create a Saturday morning cartoon, we might have actually got a much more interesting film. Uh, though, at the same time, I think it's probably fair to say that that type of film would not have been as satisfying to me as a 12-year-old renting this film out for the first time. 
So there we go, robot jocks. Um, enjoyable if you're 12, enjoyable if you're 37, and um, for completely different reasons. I'll see you in hell. Okay, so before I say goodbye on this uh, newly streamlined show, um, there is just enough time to share a little bit of feedback. Thanks to everyone who's been um, putting up iTunes reviews and stuff like that. If you please, please continue to do that, or if if any of you haven't done that, that would be really, really useful for me. iTunes reviews do make a a huge amount of difference. Um, And if, like Richard J. Winters III, you would like to contact me about the show, just drop me an email at adventuresinvhs at gmail.com. So, um, first of all, Richard, thanks for for writing in, and uh, your message is thus. Hey, Noel, first, obviously, let me congratulate you on the birth of your son i hope you and claire and the child are doing splendidly and also principally i really love the newest adventure in vhs episode about the mancunian man i have to admit that i've never heard of cliff twemlow but i'll definitely try to track whatever of his work is available in the states (laughs) good luck with that um my own home city has yet to produce a notable filmmaker though there have been a few movies shot here recently uh for the states it's pretty old at about 400 years and some of it is very lovely Mostly though, it was sorry. Mostly though, I was just impressed with how you put the episode together. It felt like a chapter of your book, uh, and a book that I very much want to read. It was really compelling, and I've enjoyed every episode of the podcast. I always enjoyed Film Run and Thirty Five Millimeter Heroes as well, though I'm ashamed to admit that I haven't written to either before. But this one was special. It felt well like a lovingly and intelligently done radio biography and I enjoyed it quite a lot I don't know if you found a publisher for the book yet but whatever happens with that I hope you'll consider putting out an audio companion with these audio clips and bits from the interviews you've conducted really tremendous work there I don't know how you find found the time to do all of that with everything that's going on in your right, uh, your life right now but I had to congratulate you on that as well hope you'll be back on Hero soon and very best wishes from Richmond, Virginia Richard, thank you very much, Richard. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm really glad you enjoyed the Mancunian Man. It was something that I got kind of obsessed with for a, a short spell, um, and thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. Um, the Mancunian Man was actually supposed to be just a one, just one of the uh, chapters of the book. Um, basically, there will be fifty. In, well, sorry, there will be sixty individual films that I'm sort of going to look at in the book and one of them was going to be GBH Um, so I was always kind of half aware of Cliff Twemlow and GBH um, and then when I got hold of a copy of it and watched it I thought I'm going to have to do this for the podcast and then when I started looking into it more I just wanted to see more of his work and I just I just ended up buried in it and reading a lot about him and I was like you know what this is my opportunity to actually do some do a podcast that is a bit more um well just a bit more than than what i'm used to doing so yeah i worked hard on that and i'm really pleased with the way it come out and it's kind of given it's inspired me to do more more interesting podcasts in the future a little bit so uh hopefully there'll be more of those to come um thank you very much it's as i say then yeah it is sort of it probably should feel like a chapter of the book because it kind of is in a way um and yeah i don't know how much luck you're going to have in the states trying to find cliff twemlow's stuff um 
you'd probably be uh, GBH might be a possibility. Um, Tuxedo Warrior, I would imagine, is probably your best bet, although it's not the best film to get a flavour of Cliff Twemlow. Um, yeah, try and seek out GBH um, and see where you go from there. That you might be able to pick something up on eBay. Um, and if uh, you know, I don't know if you picked up on it in the in the, the podcast. But there is a book out um, by CP Lee. Um, called The Lost World of Cliff Twemlow and that is is very very interesting if you do want to pick that up it's pretty cheap I think you can get it for about a tenner on uh, on Amazon um, so yeah the intention was kind of to do it as a sort of radio biography thing so excellent I, I'm glad it worked for you um, I have not found a publisher for the book yet um, I haven't approached any there are a couple I have in mind who are very obvious ones for me to go for uh, I will be approaching those soon when I have a first draft that I'm happy with Um you know what though if it all goes tits up and nobody wants to publish it I'm just going to publish it myself anyway so one way or the other it will be out there and it will be out there this year at some point um, yeah the the podcast will continue even when the book is done the podcast will continue I'm not giving up doing this I love doing this um, so there will be more audio clips and there will be more reviews and there will be more um adventures in vhs podcasts and they will all cover um films that are probably not going to make it into the book so there's that to look forward to um so once again thanks richard for writing in and if anybody else wants to do the same as i say adventures in vhs at gmail.com uh and that was adventures in vhs episode 11 robot jocks um apologies that it's shorter than what you may have been used to in the past but i think doing things this way and just getting one out every month is is going to be good um i already have a whole pile of films that i want to talk about and a whole pile of films that i want to do podcasts on so hopefully they will come thick and fast um yeah so as always i hope you enjoyed listening to episode 11 as much as i did making it the show will be back at the end of march with another one shot episode and a longer form Adventures in VHS Presents show might just follow that. I have started working on one, um, so it's most certainly on the way. Uh, just watch this space. God knows how long it's going to take. It's a big story. Um, that's as much as, as I'll say on it at the moment. In the meantime, um, if you please support the show by heading to adventuresinvhs.com, add a Facebook like, a Twitter, a Twitter share, Google+, or all of the above. Um, and on there you'll also find all the relevant social buttons along the side um, so if you want to get in touch with me or if you want to Instagram Facebook, all that other good stuff it's all on adventuresvhs.com and that's it, thanks for listening and until next time, ta-ra!